Bulls from B-I-Z-M-A-I-K-I-E-N. I got you, boy. We pulled the gambit. They let queens in. Sick of the quarantine. Sick of deferring dreams. In. Fighting over vaccines. In. Tonight, I'm on your screen. And we bossed up on TV. Got these famous people screaming. We came to flip the script and take Emmys from Europe. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, where you at? Uh, that was just a um, snippet from last year's or last, last year's last night's uh, 73rd annual Emmy Awards. That was the opening number. Um, I didn't watch it. I actually didn't know it was on. I was at a, I was doing a show, and, and uh, at the bar area, there were uh, they had all these TVs and they had uh, the Emmys on. And I was like, uh, and I was, and then it was funny because right when I turned it on, or not turned it on, right when I looked at it playing, um, this award won, and uh, they showed the table. There's a comedian I used to know who was uh, sitting at the table. I guess she works on the show that won. So a lot of, a lot of things that won. Um, I'm looking at the uh, winners right now. Uh, Ted Lasso won Outstanding Comedy Series. Uh, don't want to crap on Ted Lasso, but I'm going to. I um, I don't. I, I've seen Ted Lasso maybe three times, and I I think I think it's very. It's it's one of those shows. I'm I just don't understand what's going on. Like I feel like I'm just missing something with that show. It's the exact same thing, exact same experience I had with The Wire where everyone told me how The Wire was the most, literally was told by numerous people that it was the greatest show ever made in the history of TV shows. Um, watched the first season, was so, I barely could t- pay attention to it. Then during the quarantine, I tried again. I watched the first two seasons, and I just, I thought it was very, like, I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. And But I was like, I have no idea why people think it's the greatest show ever made. Ted Lasso is the same way. I mean, it's just everyone loves Ted Lasso. And I just, I watch it. I, do, I mean, like, I, I don't think it's bad. I think it's fine. Like, I think it's good. I just don't know. It seems to be transcending what people like. It's just become this, um, I don't know, like institution or, you know, it's kind of like become this huge uh, iconic show already, like like an event almost. But so anyway... That one. See what else? Uh, there is no line. Is a comedy series, writing comedy series. That one. Um, and then um, Mayor of Easttown, uh, Kate Winslet, I guess won. Which, yeah. <laughs> I started, you know, I started realizing that, like, while I was watching the the Emmys, that like, I don't really like tv that much i mean and also what is tv anymore because it's it's not really tv it's like streaming so i feel like this opening is is very indicative of from the emmys very indicative of what tv is now because it it just it's kind of all over the place doesn't really know what it is and it's just a bunch of different weird things like here's more of it you got what i need would you say he's just a friend I don't know. Does anyone else think it's weird that they're the song that they're using for the opening is like a Biz Marquee song from like 1989? <laughs> Who the fuck is producing the Emmys? Fucking, uh, 
I don't know, someone old. Fucking Sir Mixalot? Is Sir Mixalot producing the Emmys now? Is that what's going on? It's just such an odd. <laughs> Who's producing the Emmys now? Everyone's grandfather? Like, yeah, I remember this song. Yeah, I know what the kids like. I mean, it's just this song came out like before most people were watching TV were born. Um, it just says, and also it's like a weird TV. You got what I need. It's just such a bad. That's where we are as a society. I feel like it used to be kind of like a you know frowned up. Like watching too much TV was like a bad thing. You know, it was kind of like there's a negative connotation to watching too much TV. Like when I was growing up, TV was considered just kind of dumb. I mean, I watched it all the time, but wasn't considered very sophisticated. And, you know, it's just people kind of watched it because that's all there was to do. <laughs> but, and most things were bad. Most shows were really bad, you know, when I was growing up. But now it's like our society is like, yeah, TV, you got what I need. Like, it's kind of like, that's the message we're giving out to kids. Like, yeah, you should just watch TV all the time. Yeah. Nothing else. <laughs> like, if you saw this as a kid, you'd just be like, wow, I guess I should just watch TV all the time. It's almost like it was almost like they're pushing, you know, crack on their, the beginning of the Emmys. I don't know that that's a very good analogy, but it was, it's like weird. Like, they're kind of like pushing this bad thing on you. So, which is kind of like when you look at it, the difference in society from um, from then till now, it's just kind of like TV, the way it's in our culture is very different. It's actually kind of like the center of the universe and it's just being, there's nothing really negative said about TV, which is sort of like it's, it probably is worse now because there's just, there's so much of it. Like when I was a kid, we, I would watch TV like waiting for something good to be on. There was like never anything good on. Now it's just like because there was like nothing on. <laughs> like there'd just be like three things on. Like and um, now it's just every night there's a million things on. <laughs> like it's really different from when I was a kid. Like when I was a kid, people would be like, oh, "What's on tonight?" Oh, um, at eight o'clock, Family Ties. Yeah. Now it's like, "Hey, what's on tonight?" Uh, everything that's ever been filmed. Yeah, that's on. <laughs> Anything you ever wanted to see, that's on tonight. Yeah. Before it was just like, "Oh, uh, Magnum PI." Huh. All right. I guess this is what we're watching because there's nothing else. It's either this or just snow or the news. Um, but yeah, it's gotten it's gotten pretty out of control. I watched a lot of TV as a kid, a lot, probably too much. But uh, I guess I was just bored. I got you know, and I, my and you know, my I would get in trouble for it. Like my parents would get mad. Everyone, people would get mad at me for it. You know, like I would watch so much TV that like like people would get mad. <laughs> I feel like, I don't know, does that happen? I guess it, it happens now for kids with, like, their phone or whatever. Yeah, that's the new thing. But there's, like, a, there's always a new thing that everyone's mad at you for doing. Uh, they just have to keep inventing things for parents to get mad at. I thought it was funny they got mad at because it's, like, they, they were watching. It was their whole thing. They bought it and had put it here, and then I'm using it, and they're just like, what are you doing? <laughs> what, do you like TV? You idiot. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm the dumb one. Didn't you buy it? 
And isn't it all you do? I guess I'm dumb though, but all right. Yeah. And also, didn't you plot me in front of it when I was zero? And that's what my entire, that's what my brain was raised on. But anyway, yeah. So that's my Emmy or whatever Grammys. <laughs> Emmys. Yeah. Emmys. I always get those confused, Emmys and Grammys. I don't know why. I guess because they have me, me, me. Um, okay, so I think I've covered everything. I uh, I said earlier, but I, in the recording, I don't think it came out. I, but I want to uh, the, the show Hacks. One of a lot of things. There's the show Hacks. That's a bad show. I that I watched for like three episodes. And I just was like, oh, this is bad. That's like a bad show. Like if that was on TV, I guess if it was on TV when I was young, that would be the greatest thing in the world. But now it's just like nothing it seemed you know i don't want to this is such a trite you know obvious joke but it's like a hacky show like the writing's hacky you know so it's like is hacks the uh the name of the writing staff ha 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 get it because they're hacks i don't know who writes for it but whatever it's bad okay so um Let's get into it. Uh, the reason I'm posting this is because uh, I'm actually posting a an interview I did with uh, Michael Che, the great comedian Michael Che, um, and I, this is an old interview that I had on my computer and I put together. It's, it's from when I interviewed him when I, when I was making this movie that I made called uh, "This Is Comedy," that eventually beca- uh, became "Adventures in Comedy." It came out on Hulu, and uh, if you want to watch it, it's on it's online now. It's on Apple TV and uh, uh, Amazon and a couple other things. Um, Michael Che was in it. I interviewed him. I interviewed a bunch of people, like a lot of comedians, Janine Garofalo, Jim Gaffigan, um, Margaret Cho, Jermaine Fowler's in it for like a minute. Uh, um, who else? I'm looking at the poster right now. Okay. Uh, Ari Shafir, Kurt Metzger, Sean Patton, Ted Alexandro, me, Aisha Tyler and Barry Rothbard. So check that out. A lot of people in it. I just named, but so, uh, this, um, interviews, uh, with Michael Che. So, uh, oh, before I, I play it, uh, the audio, my audio is not very good because I'm not near the microphone because I was interviewing him and I didn't think I needed to be heard. So that worked out, but you can hear him, uh, uh perfectly. And, uh, it's a very inter- interesting interview. I first started comedy in 2009. I was 26 years old. I did an open mic in the village at a place that doesn't exist anymore called the Comedy Corner. And I did an open mic there on a Tuesday. i never forget because right after that, I went straight to the pit to do another open mic because I was hooked. I was like, I knew I wanted to do it. And how, like, that first time you did it, what was the experience like? Um, I don't really remember. I remember I drank like a like a half a pint of E and J, and I just downed it just for courage because I had I had insane straight stage fright, and um, I just got on stage and did it. I just remember I remember doing the jokes and they weren't great jokes, but I do remember looking down at people's faces, looking up at me, listening, and kind of like with this strange smile on their faces because I wasn't really telling good jokes so they weren't laughing but they were kind of had this smile and it was just felt like a cool feeling of wow I can do this it was almost me listening to myself uh enjoy it you know was it a good experience the first time I mean it was a good experience because it was the first time I was ever on stage and listening to my voice in a microphone so it was just like a trippy experience but it was good because I wanted to do it again I knew I wanted to be on stage again and as much as possible after that 
and what was the thing that made you first want to do it? I mean, you've all you always want to try it. Like, I, I think anybody that's ever been funny before wants to try comedy at least once. You know, they're like, wow, you can get paid for that? And like, that's, yeah, of course, that's what I want to do forever. It sounds like the dream job. So I think what really made me want to do it was like watching Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn and the movie Comedian. I've probably seen that like a dozen times where I was just working up the nerve from the time I seen it to the time I got on stage to actually try it. I just wanted to be a comedian, you know? Can you remember, like, when you were a kid, do you remember being funny? I remember... Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to DMR, Dewey's Movie Reviews, an Australian-based podcast reviewing all the latest and greatest movies out there, all of the newest series on streaming platforms, an interview here and there, and of course, all the celebrity goss as well. So if you're looking for a high-quality movie and series review podcast, Look no further than DMR Dewey's Movie Reviews, The Red Carpet Treatment. I remember as a kid, um, I always questioned things. I was always a smart aleck. I was always like a smart ass. So I would always make people laugh because I would ask questions that a lot of adults couldn't answer, you know. And... That I noticed before I noticed that I was funny. I noticed that I had questions that most people hadn't thought of yet. And I use that for comedy to this day where I, I try to find the one thing that people aren't paying attention to and then try to... It's easy to make fun of it in that way. And if you had to... Like, I, a lot of people compare stand-up. Like, the, the experience of going out to do stand-up, they compare it to something like... Uh, like, some people said it's like jumping out of an airplane. Some people said it's like dating through can you Can you compare the experience of, like, going out of stage to do stand-up to something else? Um, that's a good question. Shoot. Um... If I could compare the stand-up comedy to anything, it would probably be boxing, oddly. I always, I always thought the life of a boxer is very similar because we train for a certain period of time for a big set, you know, or a big match, and it's very isolated. You're on your own, and it's us against the audience is the same way it's a boxer against another boxer where their reactions dictate our actions and our actions dictate their reactions. So it's very much so playing with the crowd, uh, determining the rhythm, determining the pace of the show. It's a lot like a boxing match. And you might get punched in the face. And you might get punched in the face. You might cry. You might draw some blood. Uh, you might get knocked out and have to uh, give a conference after apologizing for your actions. Do you have any really bad, like, what's your worst experience? Everybody has, a, everybody has a terrible experience, and sometimes you have so many that you can't even remember. Uh, I think the worst experience was one time in Baltimore, Maryland. I was doing these shows. It was a sold-out audience. It was a three-night, it's three shows in the night, right? It was the third show, 12 o'clock show, completely sold out. And um, the crowd was hammered. Later, the later the show, the more hammered people come into the show. So they're having fun for about 30 minutes, and then after that, they just hit a wall. And I could remember hearing just waves and waves of conversation over me as I'm trying to perform 
And at one point, I got quiet and addressed it, and I heard a guy in the back just yell out, Boo! Not like, Boo! Get off the stage. Like, Boo! Like he was just like he wanted to scare me off the stage. And I remember thinking, wow, that was probably the most hurtful thing. It just shattered me. Like, I've been yelled at. I've had people walk out or whatever. None of that bothered me as much as just one guy going, Boo! <laughs> oh God! That... I think it was like very emphatic. <laughs> yeah, like boo! What do we have to do to get you off stage? Just go. We don't want to hear you. It was like thirty minutes to go in the set, and I had already been paid, which was a good thing. But it was that made me feel really, really low. <laughs> that was probably the worst. Um, and then, have you? Did you go to Montreal Comedy Festival? I went to Montreal Comedy Festival last year, but that was and that was the first time I ever went. But I never went for new faces. I never got called for new faces. And then the next year, they asked me to just do the shows there. And I did them. Did you, and this was, have you ever had an experience maybe early on where when you showcased for Montreal or, so, or showcased or something, are you still? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where like, you know, you're showcasing for something. And you know, like, you get the teams after yeah. the Yeah. Do you have any stories of, like a weird critique? Like, an example is like, People had told me like that I was a white guy. Yeah. Um. I remember. I remember one time um, I was auditioning for a club. I'm not gonna mention the club because I want to embarrass them. I was auditioning for a club in New York, and I did like a five minute set, and um, I did really good. It was a good set, I thought, and uh, you know, like crowd wise, it, it it was a good good reaction. And after it, they just said, ah, man, you're too green. I don't know. You, I don't like it. And uh, six months later, I auditioned again, and I had a little bit more heat on me. And I did the exact same set to, to audition with. And they were like, that was amazing. Clearly, the guy was notorious for not even watching people that he didn't want to pass. <laughs> so it was like a kind of a thing where you, I, it, it was a lesson in either they want you or they don't a lot of times they're not really paying attention and really seeing what they can get out of someone they just want to follow somebody that's got heat and at the time i had a little bit more heat and do you think that happens a lot where like you'll go into an audition space basically like going in it's just like there's no way you're already not gonna get the thing like early on um i think i think there there is a lot of times uh where people already know what they want and they already know who they want in certain showcases or whatever. <laughs> you know, there's, there's been times where I've uh, auditioned for a showcase and didn't get it, and then they asked me to audition again, and I wouldn't audition, and they said, all right, you got it. <laughs> you know, like, it's a weird thing where that happens. Oh, so you've done that, you're like, I don't want to audition? Like, yeah, there's been, there's been times before, yeah, there's been times, there's, there's been a time where I was auditioning for something and I couldn't get it, and I said, you know, I don't want to audition because I'm just tired of not getting it, and they, they told me to audition again, and I didn't. Right. And so um, stand-ups a lot like the power of no. My manager always tells me the power of no is a very, very, very powerful thing, and I believe them. A lot of times they want what they can't have, you know. And um, but also it's it helps you in your career just pick making the right choices and saying, you know what, this is a great opportunity, but this might not be something that I'm gonna do great in. I don't wanna do it. You know, it's okay to let it go and focus on something that you really think that you can uh, excel in, you know. Right, right. Um, For me I feel like com I feel like comedy is a lot about what everybody's getting, what are, who got what. 
and it's never really looked at in context like yeah somebody can get a huge show but if they're not going to be good in that show that's not is it really a good thing they're just going to expose that they're not as good as people that have done it or that would have been right for it so i try to only go into places where i know that i could excel or at least develop um uh, develop and be able to do it if that makes sense that's a horrible attitude i'm just kidding <laughs> it's a horrible attitude but it's, i'm sticking with it no. No, I, know, I know i know a lot of people compare to extent what was like drug experience like you know mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like it's a lot like working out it, it takes so long to get in the rhythm of being a stand-up and and being sharp and being alert for me personally that I feel like if I don't do it for like a week I feel out of shape I feel like it takes me time to get back into shape I don't know about drugs I don't really do too many drugs but it does feel like uh, it is like I, I feel I feel guilty, you know, I feel like I'm cheating on a diet when I'm not doing it, you know, I feel like yeah, I have to stay sharp. It feels like something's missing or something. feels like something's missing, it feels like, um, it just feels like I'm not in shape. Uh, like you can get rusty easily? I get rusty very easy. There's times, like, when if I haven't done stand-up in a week, I get back on stage and, like, I can't remember a set. Like, I, I'm, like, I'm doing a 10-minute set thinking, reaching from my back of my head, like, well, what else, what other jokes do I know? You know, it's really tough, so it's... I got to keep doing it to feel sharp, and it helps me also take more chances and take more risks. I get more confident and comfortable. I don't feel like I'm a natural stand-up, so I honestly don't. I don't feel like I'm a natural stand-up. It doesn't, it doesn't, I can't just roll out of bed and do stand-up. I got to, like, really work at it. Well, on that note, like, what would you say is the biggest misconception people have about stand-up? The biggest misconception that people have about stand-up is that it's the scariest thing in the world. It's not that scary. It's not that scary. It's you on stage. The worst case scenario is you're not funny. It ain't the end of the world. Nobody's going to die. You're not a fireman. You're not a brain surgeon. That's the biggest misconception. Also, that you need a lot of jokes to start. First of all, there's so many people that want to try stand-up. They say, yeah, but I don't have any jokes. Doesn't matter. Nobody has jokes when they start. You gotta get on stage. That's the that's it. That's the biggest thing is just to be on stage. When you're comfortable on stage, if you're funny, the jokes will come and time. They will come. You'll start to develop. You'll start to feel comfortable there. You have to be comfortable on stage. That's the most important thing before any set list. I feel like that's the biggest because everybody that asks, you want to do stand up, they always say, I don't have any jokes. What am I gonna say? Doesn't matter. Just get up there and talk about what's in the news. Does, just bomb, bomb, bomb. It's not gonna. It's not the end of the world. Um, and did you ever have an experience early on when, like, maybe you met with a manager or an agent who, like, said weird things? You almost in the same vein of like what I was talking about, like a showcase for like. I've had like you gotta do this, you gotta do that, man. You gotta like. Um. No, no manager. I, the, the strangest thing with, with managers and agents, I got signed pretty early on, you know, but I remember there was a time right before I, was, right before I signed. That's another big misconception is that you need an agency or management to do well. You, first of all, in order to get a manager, you need something to manage. Build your career and then get a manager to manage what you've built, okay? You don't need a manager. A manager's not going to get you a TV show just because he's got... Nobody has that kind of connection, all right? They got to want you. So all of that stuff will come when the set is ready and when you're... When you're... Uh, when you're... When you're developed. But 
other than that, um, I, there was a time when management would take me out to lunch and just tell me why they weren't going to sign me. Like, they would take me and they would just say, yeah, I just feel like a little bit, you know, just with a little bit more time, just keep working on it, just show us stuff, and then, you know, maybe... And it never made sense to me, like, why are you doing this? Like, what, are you just telling me that there's an opportunity for you to work for me? Well, I think they're like, well, you know, when you become famous and start being successful... That's what it is. It's a, it's a lot It's a lot of calling dibs. This yeah, industry is yeah, a like lot of calling dibs. Yeah. As soon as you get something, then they'll, oh, remember, oh, now we can work with you. But I got lucky enough to have a manager that was on the ground floor and said, you know what, this is what we, I want to do with you. Let's do it. And, and I was like, hell yeah, because I was at that point, too, where I thought, I, I just want a manager. And it turned out that I'm happy with it. You know, I, I got lucky because I could have signed with anybody. I could have signed with one of the people that just wanted to uh, call dibs. And that guy clearly was. My manager clearly was. Okay. Uh, what would you say is the best thing about being a stand-up comedy? The best thing about being a stand-up comedy is that you are the boss. You are the beginning and the end of your set. You are everything to the show. That's the best thing. Total, complete control. When you get a job writing, when you get a job acting, when you get a job doing everything else, you have 10 different bosses and 10 different people with input, and you're doing things that you don't believe in, all of that stuff is out the window and stand-up. That's when you appreciate being a stand-up, because when you're on stage, it's you, the microphone, and whatever you want to tell those people. Are there, and were there ever any moments where you like, want to quit? Were there points where you're like, I, I don't want to do this there's been there's been time there's been times where I got so frustrated with my act that I said I'd never want to tell these jokes again and I don't know if I'll ever come up with more jokes but you never want to quit man it's like being in a really really unhealthy relationship you can't leave this chick you know that's that's all it is the worst thing about being a stand-up comic is the road and being lonely on the road and being in bubblefuck Indiana, you know. Also, the worst thing is that you are the beginning and the end. You are everything to the set. So if you bomb, it's because of you. And there's no one to blame. It's nobody's fault, you know. You have to be held accountable for everything that's a part of your show. That's the worst thing, but it's also the best thing. It's kind of depends on what kind of day you're having, you know. Yeah. Oh, Tom McCaffrey should be way more famous than he is. Clearly more famous. Tom McCaffrey definitely should be way more famous than he is. And who told you to say that? The Lord. Yeah. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ. He told me that. <laughs> say, yeah. Tom McCaffrey, of course. He's the first to tell you. and, and he, But it's true. Right, right. It just, it's the one thing he's right about.